Hi, you're back with Gloucester Book Club and I'm Christina Young and I'm joined again tonight by my fellow book clubbers to talk about Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. This book won the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2020. We hope you enjoy. Let's get started. Tonight we're going to be discussing Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. This is a book we read relatively recently, guys, didn't we? Um, and tonight I've got my usual podcasters with me. That's my team. And we've got Stella and Joe and Zoe. And tonight we're very lucky to have a special podcasting guest with us, Ian. Hi. 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 Okay, so Ian, because you're our guest, we're going to come straight to you, not to put you on the spot or anything, but what have you been reading aside from book club novels whilst we've been in lockdown? Anything interesting you'd like to share? Well, thank you for inviting me, and I do, I'm do. i a, a very keen reader, but nearly everything that I read is non-fiction, history and travel and travel in this country and abroad, but the the fiction that I'm reading, the book I'm reading, is Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. It's yeah. uh, a long-term um, project to read this because it's over 900 pages long, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I love Dickens's writing. It's a, uh, one of his novels that I've not read and wanted to read for a long time, so I'm making the most of the restrictions mm -hmm. that we live under to read it, and I'm finding much of it very amusing. I love uh, London from the 19th century and his perspective on it and it's keeping me very entertained but I'm it's slow going for me it's a long it's a long read but enjoying it. Very different from what we normally read in book club Ian isn't it because we tend to concentrate on contemporary stuff here um, so you know we shy away for the great Dickens tomes don't we in book club so yeah. We do, um, we do. There's a lot to a lot to be said for uh, reading this. It wasn't a book that uh, was particularly well received by the public at the t that time, but uh, he rated it very highly, and so do I. So I, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Great to hear. Thanks, Ian. So before we get started on our discussion, just for our listeners, I'm going to give you a little quick summary of this book. So it was written in 2020 by Maggie O'Farrell, and it's a fictional account of Shakespeare's son called Hamnet, not Hamlet, Hamnet, um, and he died at the age of 11 in 1596. It won the 2020 Women's Prize for Fiction and the Fiction Prize at the 2020 National Book Critics Circle Awards. And the novel was included in 15 lists of the best books of 2020. So should be good, a eh, listeners? So we're going to start off with chat tonight. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the opening scene. So Hamlet, the book begins with the boy Hamlet tripping down the stairs, full of life and vigour, desperately trying to find a member of his family mm -hmm. because his sister Judith has fallen ill. Um, it's a particularly apt time, is it not, um, to be reading this novel, still with us being in the midst of our own pandemic. And, and this is set in a time when there was plague around. So, Ian, as our podcast guest, would you like to start by telling us what you got from reading this book? Well, I very much enjoyed it and I enjoyed it on two levels. So the, the level for, for the, the history and making me think 
about um, the loss of Hamnet to his parents. It was a fact I've been I was aware of since school, and and hadn't given it an awful lot of thought as to the effect it would have had on uh, William and Anne or Agnes. And it it really made me think and enjoy the fact that I thought Elizabethan Stratford and Elizabethan London were really well. Uh, recreated. So I enjoyed it on that level, but I also enjoyed it on what I would say, describe as an everyman level, that this is a story about loss for any parents, and it stands mm -hmm. almost as well if if you imagine this story not being about somebody famous, not a, our greatest dramatist, but about an ordinary couple from Stratford in the second half yeah. of the 16th century so what it means to be a mother what it means to be a wife and what it means to lose a child grief is a big theme in this book isn't it ian um it you is. know that's something that it, uh, yeah very much a, a very much a big theme and how we react to it as uh, how parents react to it and it made me uh, it was very thought-provoking what did you other guys think about the grief as a theme in this book well it was very well done i like the fact that there was a distinction between William's reaction and Agnes's. Um, mm. To be able to reconcile the two for a while, but then I think uh, when Agnes realises how William has been implying himself, uh, applying himself to writing mm. his play, how she realises that he has been suffering in the same way that she has, just that the outlet for it is different. And yes. Very effectively represented. Okay, thanks, Joe. I read out the opening scene, really, of Hamnet tripping down the stairs full of life and vigour, trying to find somebody to help his sister. Did that scene immediately draw you in to the novel? No, I'm laughing because it didn't at all. Long, lengthy descriptions really aren't my cup of tea at all. I much prefer a more abstract reading. So I'm so glad that you chose this book for us to read, Christina, because I think based on the blurb, based on the idea that it's going to be 400 pages of Hamnet searching for Anne or Will to try and get help for his sister, I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be awful. But eventually, the description really draws you into life. It's at a much slower pace. And for me, it took mm. a little while to get into that. But once I was in it, oh, my gosh, did I enjoy it. So at mm. first, no. What about you, Stella? Did it draw you in? Yeah, actually, it really did. I just felt for him so much. And I found it actually quite quite stressful to read as he was going from place to place and mm -hmm. could, and his sister was so, so ill and to not be able to find anybody. I really bought into that and I really found that quite a difficult read. I, I could really imagine that panic and that feeling of not being able to find any, you know, any adult at all that can help in this mm -hmm. uh, perilous situation. So, yeah, it really did draw me in. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, it did. It did me too. I'm sure my blood pressure went up several notches in that scene because I was so anxious that he found somebody. Um, so it's really, really well written, I think that. And Maggie O'Farrell deliberately never names Agnes's husband in the book. Now, I guess we all know who he is. Um, and just for anybody who doesn't know, it's William Shakespeare. But she never actually deliberately names him. Now, did that seem odd to you as readers? Not for me. I picked up on it straight away once I realised that, again, she refers to 
Agnes throughout the novel or Anya's rather than Anne Hathaway. I could tell already there was a tone of feminist retelling in this. So mm. to call the Latin teacher, the poet, the writer, the husband, anything but William Shakespeare, for me, really caught my attention straight away. And I was like, yes, this is saying something. Because what is this book about, actually? It's not about Shakespeare, is it? I don't think really it's about Hamnet either all too much. It is Agnes's story. Sal is Agnes versus Hamnet. I mean, did that, did that, you guys, Ian, Joe, did it bother you that it wasn't? No, it didn't bother me. Fairly obvious early on that it was Agnes's story uh, and the, the contrasting ways that the wife and the husband enacted out their grief and dealt with it. We know how couples can be put under tremendous stress following yeah. the loss of a child in traumatic circumstances. And this was portrayed very, very well, I thought. Fortunately, they managed to keep it together, but it was well done. I think so too. I'd, I would fully agree with that. And I just think it focused attention on Anne or Agnes. And uh, it didn't irritate me, the fact that he was referred to in different ways. But it de definitely served to focus the attention on her to make it make you think so much more about how she was feeling. It didn't worry me either. I, th I have heard that somebody in our book club managed to read the book without realising that it was anything to do with Shakespeare. It didn't make the connection at all. So uh, <laughs> that can happen, that sounds. And uh, maybe if they made the connection, the book would have got a higher mark from them. <laughs> as it was, it got a pretty low one, as I remember. So hopefully most readers will have some knowledge of Shakespeare and Shakespeare's England. So this insight into Maggie O'Farrell's interpretation of the events and the culture of the time, broadly accurate kind of historical context, is interesting and fairly thought-provoking too. Did you have to feel that, that you had to suspend your flights of fancy and buy into hers, really? Because there is no actual evidence, is there, that Hamlet died of plague and there is no evidence of where he's buried. So there were a few things as well in the book that clearly fictional. Did that bother you? Not for me, no. I really enjoyed it. I do agree you had to sort of, you know, suspend reality a little bit. So Ag Agnes, obviously, her, her character was portrayed as being not whimsical, but, you know, quite foresty and she would collect herbs and all this sort of stuff and a little bit, um, you know, so that was that was quite interesting. Joe, you were sort of interested at this point, weren't you, in all this stuff that uh, Agnes was doing, you know, collecting herbs. She was yeah. a bit of a witchy type character in the book. Now, I think that worried you a little bit. Didn't yeah, you? I found her very a beguiling character and absolutely intriguing. And she was doing all this vaguely witchy stuff. It was an extremely dangerous time in history to be doing witchy stuff. Mm, I thought the same. They were a family of Catholics in an England which was uh, religiously riven between the um, Protestant Queen Elizabeth and the, and the people who stuck to the old religion, Catholicism. So they were sailing very close to the wind um, against the sort of official line on religion. And anybody who was engaging in... Um, witchy sort of stuff, obviously took the risk that they were likely to be charged with witchcraft. And the penalty mm. for witchcraft in those days was death. 
Do you think it would have been fairly common, um, Ian, you might know the answer to this, to have a woman in a village or a town setting who would people would have gone to for herbal remedies because they presumably couldn't afford a doctor, very many of them. That would have been quite a common occurrence in the time. Uh, really difficult to know, Christina. It is very hard to know. I, d I didn't think it, it, that it was likely that there would have been somebody quite like her because uh -huh. I would, when I was reading the novel, I was conscious of uh, the existence, certainly of Dr Hall, who... Mm -hmm was the uh, the doctor that the eldest daughter eventually married. And he was probably practising as a doctor in Stratford at that time. Um, and he treated everybody, didn't charge the poor people. A marvellous a marvellous doctor. So a town that was relatively small, probably had about a 2,000 population, Stratford, at, at the time that we're reading. It would have had at least one doctor. And I would have thought... Uh, probably, if I really thought about it, unlikely that there would have been somebody practising witchcraft in the way that she was. But I didn't feel that I had to suspend disbelief to accept her doing that. But I just thought it's probably unlikely. But uh, what I did think very likely is that Hamnet died from the plague. It was just so prevalent. And if there'd been a betting shop around, or if we used a betting shop now, you'd get very, very short odds on it being anything other than the plague. Uh, it was just everywhere, and it was a miracle that um, Sheikh William himself survived in the year in the year that he was born in fifteen sixty four because there was so much uh, death from the plague in the town at that time. so that's how I felt about it. Was there any evidence in fifteen ninety six that it was in Stratford anywhere? I mean, is there any documented evidence of that that you know of any no, I don't. Other than, other than, excuse me, other than I would have said that it was just, it was, if not year upon year, then then very very frequent, and it was certainly frequent in London, because mm. there were dates in the fifteen nineties that the theatres had to close uh, because of. Yes, um, I think that once forty people died, they were the the theatres were forced to move about seven miles out. They weren't allowed to be in the city of London anyway, but they were forced to move around seven miles away from Southwark and on the South Bank because of the, the risk of further infection, a bit like the restrictions we have today. And I know that uh, during the time that Shakespeare's plays were first being performed, there were regular closures because of the plague. So I'm sure the same thing happened in Stratford, the same incidence of it and regularity of it. That's really interesting stuff. Thanks, Ian. I mean, in the book, it's not a spoiler to tell you to tell you listeners that it apparently reaches Judith, who's Hamnet's, Hamnet's sister, on you know in a flea that manages to travel on a monkey and from somewhere. I can't remember where was it, guys. That where did it come from? It came on a ship. Spanish port somewhere? That's right, that's right, because wasn't it Murano glass or something? It was in the, Venice, it was in the wrapping of Murano glass. Venice was involved, but there was somewhere oh. else, I think, with the monkey, and then Venice, it may have been wrapped in a paper or something. Yeah, you're right, Ian, it was Venice because of the Murano, Italian Murano glass connection, but, wasn't it? But, and I but think the she monkey was may, have been, may have been Constantinople, somewhere like that. Mm. Oh. Yes, that's right. So, you know, there's this flea and it manages to travel quite a long distance till it gets to Stratford. She unwraps the Murano glass, it jumps onto her and bites her. 
and that's how she gets infected and luckily manages to survive it when Hamnet didn't. So Maggie O'Farrell's been dubbed a feminist avenging angel because she's reclaimed the narrative for Hamnet's mother, Agnes, otherwise known as Anne Hathaway. We've been fed this idea that Agnes was an ignorant peasant who was tricked by this genius boy into marriage and he hated her and he had to escape to London. But Maggie O'Farrell manages to turn that around, doesn't she? Uh, Zoe, how does she turn that around? Some of it we've already alluded to with some of the uh, witchcraft uh, references, but um, Agnes is portrayed as someone who's very otherworldly, almost with a supernatural kind of power. The whole way that she and William um, become married in the novel is that she decides we need to have a shotgun wedding. The only way that our two families are going to come together and allow for us to be wed is if there's need to. So, mm. you know, let's get to it, for want of a better phrase. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that she takes that agency and that decision on herself, and there are sex scenes in the novel, is very feminist in itself. It portrays her as somebody well before William Shakespeare gets to meet her as well. Their first meeting, he happens to be teaching a Latin school and sees her outside with a hawk, of all things. Yeah. Um, so in many respects, she's a very modern woman. She owns herself and her sexuality, her choices. She's often a driver in the relationship. And she yeah. has a great knowledge outside of the written and the reading, which she may not be so good at, in apothecary and in hawk training and many many other things and also there's a fair age gap isn't there between the two of them Stella you know, it's about eight years isn't it isn't it Stella he's about 18 and is she mm. yeah I think she's 26 and it, it comes over that actually she's a woman of money she's not a peasant she has quite a large dowry that comes with her when she marries William Shakespeare, uh, much to Will Shakespeare's father's um, delight, actually, that she's got this large dowry. So it kind of goes against the kind of thing, you know, did you have in your mind about Anne Hathaway? Stella, what did you picture her as? What's she been depicted as in for you up till now? Yes, I think um, up until now, really, she has been um, pictured as being quite a sort of a passive character, and, um, well, I was reading one article saying she was sort of perceived as a bit of a strumpet because she did <laughs> William Shakespeare. But I hadn't really thought that before reading the article. And absolutely, you know, it is all about William Shakespeare and her role has been very, very uh, in the background, just uneducated, at home, a housewife of the time, raising the children and doing what she was doing Um so it's it's really, really interesting to refocus and to have the focus on her and have William Shakespeare as such a peripheral character, you know, just and he's only referenced in relation to her and in relation to how he impacts her life. So sure. it's brilliant. You know, it's really, really interesting to see it that way. And obviously the way Maggie O'Farrell's portrayed it. Um, Shakespeare doesn't necessarily um, shape up to be a particularly brilliant husband because he is away a lot and may, he doesn't appear to be able to provide the emotional support that Agnes may be needed when, um, when Hamlet did die. Yes, that's really true. 
I liked it actually the way that she was portrayed. Um, I have watched Upstart Crow on BBC TV. For those of you who are listening in the UK, hopefully you'll know what I mean. It's a comedy show um, with David Mitchell. And in that, Anne Hathaway is portrayed as very much this illiterate, and she would have been illiterate very likely, uh, she wouldn't have been able to read as this kind of very kind of matronly character played by Lisa Tarbuck. Um, yes, so it's very, very interesting, isn't it, um, all of that. Um, so whilst we can't ever know for sure what Shakespeare was like, how true is Maggie O'Farrell's characterisation of Shakespeare, do you think, in comparison to the image that you might have built up of him? Um, what do you think? Well, I think you reasonably line which I had in my mind. I think he's a he's a sensitive man, um, a player, a playwright, capable of, of of thinking in a sensitive way. And clearly, his reaction to the grief has been, um, well, it's not the same as hers. Has been to put everything into his play, and to try and keep the boy alive through the play, take his death from him. That fits in my mind with my image of Shakespeare. I was yes. surprised. Um, sorry to butt in over you, Christina. I was just thinking oh, how much, particularly because often our first encounter with Shakespeare is at school and of his great works and his legend and his prestige, how much I'd viewed him as a grown up man. I had no idea that he was so young when he married Anne Hathaway. Uh, it's it mentioned that he's the son of a glove maker, but I always thought he had his destiny he goes to London he writes plays that's it but what was really interesting about his portrayal in this book is how unsure he is how hard it is for him to move out of his father's shadow he doesn't really go to London without Agnes pushing him and then orchestrating a plan to go in that direction so that was totally at odds against how I view Shakespeare because we see him as the man the legend the fully developed adult and not the young man who maybe doubts himself and his abilities Absolutely, Zoe. Yeah, I felt like that too. How much do we know about the real Shakespeare? Joe, have you got any information about that? Well, we, I don't know that we really know much about his character. All we know is that he was, a, to begin with, he was a player. He, he wanted to take part in plays. And through the experience he gained by being a player, he became a playwright. When you said player there, I had a completely different understanding. Well, let's get into that. <laughs> we know he had dalliances in London. Um, and mm. there were issues about his sexuality, which we won't go into. But I, he was obviously obsessed with playwriting and plays and performing. And I think that's why in the town he was regarded as a bit of a wastrel. You know, he's wasting all his time messing about in costume, playing playing parts in plays. The Glover's son is a waste of time. It's that sort of attitude to him. Um, whereas, of course, he goes on, as we know, to become our greatest ever playwright and the, the master of English. There is stuff, isn't there, pretty evident stuff, I believe, that suggests that he did have homosexual relationships. He also had um, a quite a long-running affair with a, a woman of colour mm. in London, which uh, at the time. So, you know, he is not the faithful husband that maybe we had an idea of him being. But when he retires, he does return back to Stratford to live with Agnes or Anne Hathaway um, in, in the house, the massive house that he bought in Stratford. So all of that is, is very interesting. And in the book, 
What did you make of their relationship, Agnes's and her husband's relationship? It seemed really unbreakable. They seemed like two kindred spirits. Uh, Judith and Hamnet themselves are twins. And I often felt, although it's mostly from the narrator's point of view, you don't really get much of an opinion about William's thoughts. It's all from Agnes's point of view. But to me, I get the sense from her that they're really bound by something very deep, very spiritual, through the soul. And that's why they are attracted to each other, despite this great age difference and despite their background differences. So it's a shame, really, to kind of burst that bubble of that narrative and think, well, actually, the historical Shakespeare probably did have affairs and it wasn't quite that rosy. I know, I'm sorry. But, you know, I like to put the real stuff in. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the, in the novel, I thought the, uh, the aspects of grief and how they both dealt differently with the grief about Hamnet's death was very different. Um, Stella, what did you think about that? Did you, did you feel sympathy for the way that Will Shakespeare dealt with it? Or were you a bit angry with him for leaving so soon and going back to London? Yes, I was really. Um, I could see that he dealt with it very differently, could really sympathise and empathise with how Agnes felt. And I, I guess just that scene where he's telling her that he's going back to London straight away and he's actually got his bag packed. She notices that his bag's packed. So there wasn't even a discussion about yeah. anything around. It wasn't a collaborative decision that he needs to go back to London for his work and the play and so on, which is perfectly understandable. But it just wasn't portrayed as any type of discussion. Just literally, she noticed his bag was packed. And yeah. I, I, it's difficult to imagine if, you know, a child's died to discover mm. your partner's already packed their bag and they're they're ready to yeah. go back. Yeah, because they just yeah. buried him, hadn't they? And he, he just like went the next day, I think. And um, the excuse that he had to get back because, you know, a troop of players are waiting for him. You know, they rely on him, which could be true. I mean, in actual, in evidence, in actual fact, there is no evidence that Shakespeare would even have been able to get to Stratford in time for the burial of his son. You know, communication would have been very slow in those days and it would have been unlikely that he would have made it back there. So I'm sorry to, you know, add even more bad stuff into the evidence that we know that's real true. So we're coming to the end now of our podcast on this. Would you recommend this book, guys? Joe? Yes, you? definitely. Definitely recommend it. Historical fiction at its best if you accept that the fiction is the main thing. Sure. Great. Zoe? Yes, say? definitely. I've um, give it a glowing review based on the fact that I wasn't particularly looking forward to reading it, to tell you the truth. So it's exceeded my estimations and more. So I'd recommend it to lots of people. Donna. Yes, I would recommend it. Absolutely. I agree with Joe on this one, that as long as you accept that it's fiction and it is a bit whimsical. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yes. Very well written, though, isn't it? She's got a very good um, way of writing. Yeah, I think so. Ian, would you recommend it? I, yeah. I would. I would um, recommend it wholeheartedly. And I, as I said at the beginning, that the for me the the novel works on the two levels as a as a history, and but probably even more so as a human story about mm. how parents, one in particular, copes with loss like this. And in this case, without 
as much support as I think Anne Agnes needs. So there we are, listeners, glowing recommendations from, from us on the panel here. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, if you've liked the podcast, please can you share it with your friends and perhaps even follow us. And thanks to Stella and Zoe and Joe and Ian. In two weeks, we'll be back and talking about Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Join us again soon. Goodbye for now. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to us in our podcasts. We're Gloucester Book Club and we're based in Southwest England. You can find us on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts and many more. We hope you find your way back to us again soon.